Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, today, we're continuing our journey through the book of Matthew, um, looking at uh, Matthew chapter, de- chapter 10. Um, as you can see, I have entitled this, um, with Paul Edlin's help, I have entitled this, um, Sent with His Authority. And I hope to show that throughout this chapter, to show how Jesus sent out his 12 disciples with his authority, with his plan, and how he also sends us out with that equal authority in the world. I also want to show it as um, being a model of missions and a model of leadership within the church as well. Um, Just to start off with, I just want to thank... um, Vicky, for your word this morning, um, that was fantastic, uh, feeds into the sermon well, so thank you for that. So, a um, bit of truth to start off with, when I agreed to preach today, um, I thought I was only going to be preaching on a small section of chapter 12, not chapter 10, sorry, nerves. I thought I was only going to be speaking on a small section of chapter 10, not the entire chapter. Um, Yeah. So I've just found out that I've bought the wrong prescription of glasses. If I'd bought my older prescription of glasses, I'd be able to read my notes and see you. With the new prescription, I can see you fine. I've just got to take them off to read my notes. It's a pain getting old. (laughs) Let's try this. Okay. So, don't worry. I'm not going to stand here and read out the entire chapter to you. Quite frankly, my throat won't won't handle it. It takes me about two days just to recover from a 30-minute speech as it is. Um, So what I intend to do is I'm just going to go through the chapter. I'm going to pick out various verses and show how they apply to our lives. Now, just to start off with, when reading Scripture, it's important first to observe who the Scripture... It's important to to observe who that passage was intended for in the first place. Is it a letter for a certain individual? Is it to a group of people people or a corporate body? Corporate body, of course, being a church. Second, what was its purpose? Is it, for inst- is it for instruction? Is it an answer to someone's question? Or is it written to inform or defend someone's action? Because if we're going to understand Scripture and apply it to our lives we must understand who the original target audience was. Because scripture can't mean something to us today that it didn't or couldn't mean to its target audience in their day. This is sometimes referred to as the rule of firsts. Who's heard of that rule? Oh, some of us. The first time a word or a phrase is used in scripture determines how it's translated in the rest of Scripture. This is why many times a preacher 
and I'm not going to do it today, will go back to the original Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic word that was used and then tease out the meaning of that word in its original context. In the case of Jesus speaking, I believe that's even more important. When Jesus is talking, he is always surrounded by different groups of people. Sometimes, as in the case of Nicodemus, it's a one-on-one conversation, just the two of them alone. Sometimes, it's to the 12 disciples. Other times, it's to the disciples, but then there's an outside crowd there. It's either the priests and the Pharisees, or it's the greater crowd from the town that he's in, or the general area that he's in at that time. Jesus may seem to be talking to one person or one group of people, but his words are actually meant for the greater crowd in general. So with that in in mind, let's read Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 11. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preaching, say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay in his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you, nor heed your words, as you go out of the house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. We can see clearly that in the case of Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking to the 12 disciples. He's giving them instructions for a defined mission that is, to, that is to cover a specific time period. This means that not every word of, of the scripture can be applied directly to our lives. 
For instance, we can't read these verses and say, Jesus means me to go to the cities in Israel and only take one coat and one staff and speak to those who are worthy. Only to those who are worthy. Now, of course, there is a danger of taking specific verses and applying them to our lives. There's a danger in choosing specifically which verses we're going to apply to our lives and which verses we are not going to apply to our lives. All of Scripture is based on all the rest of Scripture. Right? When you read the Bible, cross-reference, cross-check. As I said, I'm not, going to sit, I'm not going to stand here and read out the entire chapter to you. That's your job to do this afternoon or during this week. Take the words that I speak today, measure them against the word, right? inquire of the Holy Spirit in your own lives, and then apply to yourself. For an example, one of my one of my sources, and this was printed 1950s, so last century, goes as far as to say that Jesus was only speaking to the twelve when he gave the commission to heal the sick and cast out demons that it wasn't meant for the larger church in general. Now, I reject that. Why would God give a tool to the early church that he would then deny future generations of that church? Here at St. Albans Baptist, we believe that the Holy Spirit is as alive and active in the church today as he was in the church in Acts. Can we all have agreement with that? All right. But I know that there are some out there who would say, but Scripture says we are to, to rely on our faith. We are not to rely on the signs and wonders of God. Yes, that's true, but the signs and wonders are not meant for us, the believer. The signs and wonders are meant for the unbeliever to prove that the message that we bring, bring is true and from the living God. So instead of applying every verse to our lives, we're meant to find the spirit of the law. I don't know why I did italics. We're meant to find the spirit of the law instead of blindly following the word of the law. William Barclay, one of my favorite scriptural theologians, not only did he do an entire commentary series on the books of the Bible, I have at home two books of prayer that he wrote for everyday life. Some of them are quite Anglican, can I say. Some of them are quite high Anglican. But I just find them invaluable reading through them every so often just for the input that they have. This is the respect I have for William Barclay. Now, Barclay writes about verses 5 to 15. This was a temporary command for a limited objective in order to achieve an ultimate and universal victory. So with that in mind, 
I just want to take a step backwards in time to when I preached um, previously on Matthew 9, verses 35 to 38. Here we find Jesus calling the 12 apostles to pray for the harvest and for God to raise up the work, to raise up workers for that harvest. New Testament theologian G. Campbell Morgan in his studies of the full gospel says this, Note, the men God called to pray for the harvest were the very first he sent out into the harvest to proclaim his coming. Now, the other week when I preached on this, I deliberately shied away from making out that point. It did not fit the narrative of that sermon. But today, if we're looking at the broader context of the verse, it's the first place that we must start. Any Christian endeavor must begin with and be supported throughout and by prayer. If you're thinking of starting something or looking for a new purpose, start by seeking God in prayer. John C. Maxwell, in his book, Intentional Living, states it's a catch-22 situation. You've got to find your passion before you can start doing. But sometimes you don't find your passion until you start doing. That's why starting with prayer is so important. When we are praying, we are communicating with God who made us and placed our passions and giftings within our hearts. In a deeper context, our heart is touching the heart of God. And in that relationship, our hearts and our minds are softened and they are transformed the things of God become more important to us as he reveals who he is and who we are in him. And our passions and our giftings are also revealed to us. I found it exciting this morning when Sophie shared um, about the fact that when she came over, she started praying for the young girls in the youth group. That's her excitement. That's her passion. You could see it in her. And it starts with prayer, and it continues with prayer. If you're looking for something, if you're seeking for something, start praying. And when you find that right thing in prayer, you're going to know it. You're going to feel those shivers going up and down your spine. You're going to start finding yourself getting joyful over something you didn't know you were joyful about before. You're going to know when God is talking to you and saying, hey, this is it. This is the thing for you. I mean, how many times have we heard testimonies of people? They've prayed, God, send someone. Just don't send me. Or the other one I like, God, I'll go anywhere you send me, just not there. Anywhere else, just not there. And of course, that's the very place that God ends up seeing them. And that's the place where they find their passion and their victory. As New Testament scholar Donald Guthrie writes, they were men with a dominant purpose given by God and what skills they possessed was, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, put to its fullest use. 
Now, if we carry on, we can see that the entire chapter, from verse 5 through to verse 42, Jesus is giving the 12 the instructions on how they are to, on how they are to act and how they are to respond to situations while they're on their short-term mission trip. So I have my, this image in my head of myself that when I preach, I'm a full-stage preacher. I will walk the stage, I'll use the stage, I'll engage with the auditorium, but in reality, I think I'm a podium speaker. Um, and I'm, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm, anyway, let's carry on. The entire chapter from verse 5 through to verse 42, Jesus is giving the 12 instructions on how they are to act and respond to situations while they're on their short-term mission trip. This is important. This is the first time they're being sent out on their own. Now, I want you to note, Jesus did not send them out with vague guidelines willy-nilly. He gave them a smart goal. Who remembers learning about smart goals? Yep. Okay, smart goals. Smart, of course, being small, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely. And yes, I heard yesterday that the S can also mean strategic or, more commonly, specific. William Barclay notes that by sending them out to the lost sheep of Israel, not the Gentiles or the Samaritans, he was limiting them, limiting them to the area of Galilee. North, of course, was Syrian. East was settled largely by the Gentiles. And, and south of Galilee was largely a Samaritan population. He also reminds us at this time that the disciples were bringing a solely messianic message, meaning, of course, the coming of the Messiah. That message would have little meaning to the Gentiles of that time. Christ had not yet come in his fullest glory. Later, we would see him expand that message to the Samaritans through the woman at the well, and after, and after his crucifixion and resurrection, would we receive the full salvation message in the Great Commission? We can see in these verses that Jesus tells the disciples what to take and what not to take. Who they are to go to and how they are to handle certain situations when they occur. He's quite specific on some of the things that they are going to come face to face with. He's very specific how some people are going to treat them. He tells them what dangers to expect and what they should be prepared for. Now, this isn't the first time that we see this in Scripture. In Genesis, Moses comes to the burning bush. And there we see an amazing conversation between God and Moses. God is basically introducing himself to Moses. He's telling Moses who he is and what he wants to do. He tells Moses about his plans 
for delivering the children of Israel from the Egyptians. I mean, basically, God lays the whole of the plan down at Moses' feet, tells him what's going to happen step by step, even to the fact that Pharaoh is going to renege and that God is going to have to bring plagues to Egypt before Pharaoh finally releases the children of Israel. If we look at Joshua, Joshua is told exactly how to attack the, uh, the city of Jericho and how the army is to be arrayed. Gideon is chosen, Gideon is told how to choose his troops. And how to, how to conduct that battle against the Midianites. Abraham is told how to conduct himself as, he, as God guides him to the promised land. Who remembers the story when Abraham comes um, to a city and he tells the king, um, Sarah is not my wife, she's my sister. And Sarah gets taken into uh, the king's harem. Previously, Abraham is told, do not tell them that Sarah is your sister. Tell them she is your wife. He didn't listen, and we can see what happened. And so it is with us today. God the same, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Now, I go to Promise Keepers um, meetings. I, I get their wise choices. Um, I like going to, um, to their meetings. One of the things that they teach us through Promise Keepers as men is that we are to think about the temptations and the trials that we may face coming up in our lives. Think of them before they happen, right? Think about what we're going to do if this situation arises. Because in that way, when the time comes, the temptation arrives, we are under pressure, we're in the midst of the fire, we don't have to choose then. The choice has already been made, right? We just have to enact what we have already chosen. If you've ever been connected with the services, you know this. We plan, we drill, we practice. So when the bullets start firing, we react by instinct because we already know what we're supposed to do. We already know the plan, we already know our duty. If we start in prayer and we continue in prayer, God is going to reveal his plan to us. If I can take the mission team to Thailand as an example, they prayed and they planned for months before they went. They continued to look to God for guidance. While they were there, they continued praying. They continued looking, for, looking to God that he would reveal the next step to them. God, we're here now. We're doing what you had planned for us. What's the next step when we get back? What is the next thing after this in your plan? And they shared that with us upon their return. 
God told them all individually. They came together. And hey, God is telling us this corporately. They shared it with us. And how many of us thought that that was actually a great plan and that was the way to go? We can expect God to treat each of us the same way as individuals. If I can direct you to verse 29 and verse 31. Are not two sparrows sold for the cent? And by the way, all my scripture reading is out of the New American Standard Bible. It's the translation I use because it's the translation I've used since the 80s. Um, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. Some translations will say without your father knowing. The very hairs on your head, head are numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable to the Father than many sparrows. God is intimately involved with his creation. He's not a clockwork orange God. He hasn't just done creation, tightened up the springs, and says, right, let's see where this will go to. He's standing there. He's waiting for us to open up the invitation. God Come into my life, show me your plan, reveal yourself to me, and as we sung this morning, God comes in like a flood. We did sing that this morning, didn't we? Thank you. Worship team, you did an amazing job this morning. Thank you for that. It's just beautiful. Now, I would be very wary... And some of us will remember situations like this from the 70s and early 80s, as late as the 90s. Someone gets up and says, God has told me to do this, or God has told me to do there, but doesn't know anything else about the Pacifics, or saying, God will reveal the next step when we get there, or the preacher who doesn't prepare for a sermon, but relies on the Holy Spirit to, to uh, reveal what he's, about to, what he's supposed to preach, when he gets up to the podium. I don't see that as being the scriptural model, as I've just showed. There are times when we need to, re- to rely on Holy Spirit guidance. Don't get me wrong. We need to give the Holy Spirit room to move. But as I look at scripture and as I look at examples of my own life and churches around me, I see that that is always within a plan that God has already revealed. Like this morning, the music team had a song that spoke directly to what I'd written in my message about God coming in as a flood. Vicky's word comes in. They didn't know what I was going to be preaching about. And yet they had prayed, they had sought God, and the Holy Spirit has planned out what the service is going to be. And as I've said before, the Father is always, always willing to reveal himself to us when we ask. Matthew, verses, Matthew 10, verses 24 to 28. 
A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house visible, how much more will they malign the members of that household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Just to quote G. Campbell Morgan again. He makes a note on verses 24 to 28. Jesus the Master could not change the minds of certain individuals. He's talking about the priests and the Pharisees here. Who said that Jesus was using the power of Bezalbub. And therefore, the entire household, which means Jesus and his disciples, were under the influence of Bezalbub, the devil. How therefore could the disciples be expected to change those same minds? Jesus told the disciples that there were going to be people who would reject them and persecute them. It's the same with us. Not everyone that we share the gospel with is going to be open or receptive to what we have to share. Not every time we share the gospel is going to be a success. However, we should not let that put us off from sharing the gospel. Sometimes what we see as failure at the time is revealed to be something totally different further down the road. Now, Steve's allowed to laugh at me at this. We were talking about this the other week, and he helped me remember something that I already knew, but allowed myself to forget. We can't see the end of the road, but God can. The whole spectrum of time is in his sight, past, present, and future. What we perceive as failure is only a step in the journey, mere footprints on the road to success. Sometimes you've just got to step out and take that one step in the plan that God has given you, and then he's going to look after the rest. If I can use what Jeanette, Jeanette shared the other week as an example, now I did ask Jeanette's permission for this, when the team were giving their report back from Thailand, she talked about the time that she and a colleague of hers spent 10 years running a youth group in Thailand. Only had about 10 kids who attended, and then only when they really felt like it. I think I've got those facts right. Jeanette shared that she and her colleague felt that it was a lot of hard work and they weren't sure how effective it had actually been. But 20 years later, Jeanette goes back to Thailand. She's speaking to some of the girls that were in that 
in that youth group, right? And she finds out that many of them have actually gone on with God. They're early childhood teachers, teachers, doctors even. Sometimes we're not going to find out what the final outcome is this side of heaven. It's not going to be until we reach heaven that we find out what the full impact of our lives is going to be. I know for myself, the fear of failure has stopped me from stepping out into what God has intended for me. If I'm going to be more honest about it, it's the perceived failures in my past that have, that have prevented me from stepping out. I've tried something, it hasn't worked, so in my mind, that's, my, that's not my gifting, that's not what I'm meant to do, so I'm not going there again, I'm not doing that again, I'm going to do something else, more often than not it means I do nothing. This is the dust that I need to shake off my shoes and off the hem of my cloak. It's called hiding my light under a bushel or burying my talent. Pastor Paul preached on the parable of the talents. God doesn't get angry if we try and don't, and don't succeed. If I can go back to Moses in the burning bush, Moses and God had this huge conversation. Moses kept on bringing up points where he thought he might fail, and God said, but this, and God always gave him the answer. It wasn't until the very end where Moses expressed his unbelief in the plan and said, don't send me, send someone else, it was then that the scripture says that God's anger was kindled against Moses. In the context of the parable of the talents, when the master says the talent should at least have been put in the bank to earn interest instead of being buried, in my mind, I get the picture of the local church. I get the picture of our church as being the bank. This is the place where we should feel free to explore our gifts and talents, to strengthen and to increase them, to earn interest on them under the direction and the teaching of our church leaders so that we can take them out into the world. Now, back in the day, again, I'm talking last century, when we, were, when we had morning and evening services at church every Sunday, every sixth Sunday, sorry, I'll say that again, back, in the, back when we had morning and evening church services every Sunday, every sixth Sunday evening was a youth service where members of the youth group got to run services under the guidance of the youth youth pastor. We did the music. We did the worship leading. We served communion. 
This is where I got my first opportunity to preach at the age of 15, which is why I said it was last century. Thank you, you were supposed to laugh at that. Remember during COVID, members of the church got to practice and record their testimonies, which were then shared up on the screen and online. And they were played during church services. We should be doing more of that, right? I can see a day where we all get the chance to practice our testimonies in front of the church in order that we can be strengthened, in order that we can be encouraged, that while we get through our nerves and everything else amongst our family, our church brothers and sisters, it strengthens our courage to take it to the outside world because that's what the local church is for. It's for strengthening us. It's for giving us the plan so that we can be sent out. Rowana and I used to belong to a puppet ministry group. This was when we met and before we had kids. We ran the junior team. Now, if you could imagine a puppet stage, about two metres wide, about a metre deep, holding about eight to ten, 12 to 14-year-olds with all their props and the puppets, right? You can imagine in that tight space, the kids learnt tolerance. They learnt teamwork. They learnt discipline while presenting the scripture through puppets and sharing their testimony. Now, a lot of those, some of those kids went on CCSM beach missions with us when Rowan and I were either camp parents or we were leading the missions ourselves. Who remembers the CCSM beach missions? Who ever went to them? Yep. They were fantastic. Some of those kids have gone on to be leaders in their own churches, right? I'm not saying it's because of what we did, but we had a part of inputting into them and enacting God's plan in their lives, allowing the Holy Spirit to move in their lives that they could be strengthened and be sent out. And I know that they're doing the same with kids underneath their ministries. The music group, the dance, the prayer team, the hospitality team, connect groups, all these should be places where we can explore and learn and grow our gifts in order to use them in the world around us. And again, I stress under the direction and the leadership of our church leaders, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and through continued prayer. Remember, the Apostle Paul writes that our church Church services need to have order and structure. We can't have everyone just exercising their gifts willy-nilly, speaking over the top of each other, but we can rely on our leaders to help guide us, to help structure our church services so that we have order and that God is given the glory. Verses 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the, in the name of the disciple 
gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink. Truly, I say to you, he will not lose his reward. In verse 42, Jesus is saying that even the seeming, seemingly insignificant service to our way of thinking, if it is done in his service, it will bring great reward. Let's not forget Stephen, the first martyr. We find him in Acts chapter 6 and 7. Stephen started his ministry by delivering and overseeing food packages to widows. He went on to ministering and preaching and eventually martyrdom for the word of God. Jesus doesn't only warn us about the dangers. He also tells us about the rewards to come. And he encourages us that the challenging times are only temporary, but our rewards are eternal. Now, I found myself when I got to verses 8 to 10 of this chapter that I could have really got stuck and gone off a tangent about prosperity teaching. I don't like it. I don't believe in it. I don't believe it's scriptural. But all my sources agree on one point, that under the law of Moses, a rabbi was not allowed to charge or make profit from the teaching of the law that was freely given by God. God word, God's word is free to all peoples. Jesus died on the cross while we were yet sinners and did not yet deserve the love and mercy of the Father. We did not earn the salvation that's offered by Jesus Christ. It's only because he first loved us. Therefore, we too should freely spread the salvation message that has been given to us. The message of the grace and the love of the Father through Jesus Christ to all those around us. If the music team would like to come up. I'm going to finish going back to verses 7 to 15. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belt, or a bag for your journey, or even two colts or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy to it, and go and stay at his house until you leave that city. As I've said previously, all the theologians I checked with they all agree that the message the 12 disciples were bringing was a messianic message, meaning the coming of the Messiah, not a salvation message that we have today. So they were meant to be careful about who they went to, who they were seen talking to. They were only to go to those who had been judged to be worthy. And the shaking off the, shaking off of the dust off their feet 
was seen as symbolic of not being associated with things that were not worthy of God. But we, in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 29. Can we have that slide up, please? We are told, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are to go to all the world, to all the peoples, to share the gospel of salvation. And just as Jesus did, we are meant to associate with the sinner. We are meant to dine with them, to have meals with them, to walk the journey of life with them in order to bring this gospel message. And just as the, and just as the disciples' message was to be accompanied by signs and wonders, the healing of the sick and the diseased, so too are we meant to pray for the sick and the diseased around us. We are called to minister to God's lost creation in this world. For as freely as we have received our healing and freedom from the risen Christ, so are we to give, those, give to those in need of that same healing to those around us. Not for profit, not to make ourselves look good, but for the honour and the glory of God the Father. For these signs and wonders are to show that the message that we bring is from God. The devil comes to kill and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it everlasting. So as the worship team leads us in the final song, I invite anybody in the auditorium this morning who needs healing prayer, who, who wants the freedom of Christ in their lives, or needs the guidance of the Holy Spirit to come forward. And we have a team that would love to pray with you. Thank you.